Welcome back to the Illinois Agronomy Update. I'm your host, Troy Kazire, here with Hertz Farm Management in Geneseo, Illinois. Um, uh, getting, uh, as, we, as we talked last week, kind of got a new, new, uh, new look and, and a new title for the podcast here, but still, uh, still sticking with our mission to give you some you know, timely and relevant uh, information on crop production here in the, in the Central Corn Belt. And uh, with that in mind, uh, today's guest is Dr. Trent Ford, Illinois State Climatologist. Dr. Ford, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Troy. Uh, before we get started here, why don't you tell us just a little bit about the, your, your role as a state climatologist and kind of what that entails and, and uh, you know, what your responsibilities are? Yeah, so uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag, really. It's, uh, I'm, uh, my position is based in the Illinois State Water Survey, which is part of the University of Illinois here in, in Champaign. And, um, you know, a, a decent part of my job is research, um, keeping up on what's going on with climate, variability, prediction, climate change, that sort of thing, and especially how that relates to ongoing activities here in Illinois. So agriculture being a big one. Uh, and then uh, another piece of it is outreach. Uh, so talking with folks around the state, uh, municipalities, farmers, uh, communities about what they're seeing uh, as far as the climate and weather are concerned. Uh, and, um, and just making sure that folks around the state are informed about what's happened, what we expect to happen, both near and longer term future. And so, um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a really nice opportunity for me in this position to, um, you know, to serve the state of Illinois and, 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 and study the, the thing that I'm most interested in, which is the climate. Yeah, and there's a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, a lot of really good tools and, and data available there on the uh, on, on the survey website, isn't there? Yeah, quite a bit, you know, with the state climate office website, which is a subset of the, the surveys website. Yeah. We have, um, um, the new 30 year normals on there, all of the most recent updates I just posted. I post a blog, uh, usually at the beginning of the month that gives a summary for the previous, previous season, the previous month. And then, um, beyond that, the water surveys website, we have lots of information about things like stream flow and hydrology, soil moisture and temperature with the Illinois Climate Network and the WARM program. So lots and lots of good information on there for sure. Yeah, some great tools. And I'd encourage people that are, you know, folks that are listening to go uh, go to that website and and uh, check those tools out. Uh, a lot of, lot of good information there. Well, um, again, we're glad to have you here with us today. And so what I thought we'd do is kind of start off with a little bit of a recap uh, of what we've seen this growing season, kind of kind of bring everybody back up to speed and think about some of those things that happened earlier in the season that we might be seeing some of those impacts now. And then we'll, we'll, uh, uh, we'll kind of delve into a, uh, to a look ahead as we, as we think about harvest. But um, as we recap this season, uh, we, we saw some quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of heat and drought up in Northern Illinois earlier this year, didn't we? Yeah. You know, uh, the spring especially was very, very dry across Northern Illinois, especially the Northeast part of the state, right around the Chicagoland area out North up to the Wisconsin border and West, maybe to the Rockford, Winnebago County area. Uh, they just could not catch rain. Um, it was something like the fourth driest, uh, spring on record there in Chicago going back to the 1870s. So, um, you know, and they were working off of some pretty wet soils coming into the spring. And so, um, what that meant is the topsoil dried out, but the subsurface soil had, a had quite a bit of moisture still left in it when, when we had planting, but, uh, that drought continued into the summer and uh, really just over the last maybe six weeks, we've seen some alleviation of those drought conditions in the northeast part of the state with with pretty consistent and sometimes heavy rains. 
um, you know, it really set up for, for, for most places in that part of the state um, that the timing of the drought was a little better than some of the later season droughts we've seen of your like 1988 and 2012 that kind of established and really intensified in July and August. In this case, that drought really uh, got going in May and June and the rain came at the right time, especially during the reproduction stage in corn and, and soybeans and now and, and then back in July um, to really alleviate some of that stress. Now, certainly we are going to see, and I've, I've heard reports of things like um, you know, lack of tip fill and corn, for example, in some places and uh, beans not setting as many pods as we what we expect. But, you know, a lot of those are happening on some of the lighter soils. And so overall, you know, given how dry it was coming into June and some of the outlooks that were calling for heat and dryness in the summer, uh, things were better up there than I expected. So that's really good. And, um, you know, since that time, this summer, we've seen, you know, drought, it's, it's amazing sometimes how it morphs and evolves and spreads and declines. And what we saw is that uh, that spread of drought from northeast Illinois into the northwest part of the state. Um, and, and unfortunately, that drought has really intensified over the last four to six weeks as as August heat, plus um, just a lack of August, of, of especially of mid to late August rainfall, um, has, has, has taken hold of that part of the state, really centralized in Ogilvie, Whiteside counties, that area. Um, I would expect there'd be a bit more impacts, especially to beans, because of the poor timing of those dry conditions. Um, but again, you know, uh, from what I'm hearing from reports is that, um, you know, the folks on the lighter soils are the ones that are feeling those impacts and otherwise overall crop conditions are, um, are, are looking pretty decent there. One thing that we will have to look out for, um, and this is for agriculture purposes, but also ecology, thinking about our trees and things like that is, um, we really do want a, a good, wet winter uh, to recharge some of those soils that have been dried out by, uh, uh, by by drought both in the spring and summer in northern Illinois. So I think I mentioned it to somebody earlier today that uh, uh, if you need yet another reason to hope for a lot of snow this winter, that could be one of them to, to help recharge those, uh, those, those dry soils as we move into next spring. Yeah, and I'm just thinking here, one of the things we touched on in, in uh, the last episode that we did with uh, uh, Nick Sider with uh, one of the uh, one of the entomologists with with the yeah. uh, University of Illinois Extension up there in northern Illinois that dry period in June really led to a high survival uh to those for for corn rootworm larva hatch and and that's that's really kind of amplifying the problem in a lot of areas up there as well as you know they've they've got a really high corn rootworm pressure this year uh, and then that that some of that dryness on top of it <clears throat> really um, really is sort of exacerbating the, the issue. So going to be interesting to see how, how things shake out up there in, the, in northern Illinois. Uh, you talked about, or we, you know, before we started recording, we kind of talked about, you know, the, the summer overall. Let's kind of start with the temperatures then after we, you know, uh, after we kind of progressed into uh, sort of the mid-season, uh, what did we see as far as high and low temperatures through the summer? Yeah, so, you know, the average temperature for the whole summer, and, and, and we can just pick out July and August together, the whole summer put together was uh, right about as uh, within one to two degrees of, of, the, of the 30 year normal for most of the states. We're talking, you know, the high 60s as an average temperature for northern Illinois and the mid to high 70s for central and southern Illinois. Uh, but, you know, when we split that up, maximum temperatures outside of northern Illinois were right at the, the, the long term normal. Um, uh, and, and north of I-80, they were anywhere between one and two degrees above normal. 
Now we did have some days across the state where we did see 90, 94, 95 degrees Fahrenheit, but it, um, it, it wasn't as, uh, as many days as we've seen in other drought years in the northern part of the state, like I mentioned, 2012 or, or 1988, where we're getting strings of, you know, 9900, 102 degree temperatures. One thing we did see this summer was that minimum temperatures, the nighttime lows were, were really strongly elevated. So whereas, you know, our maximum temperatures this summer were one to two degrees above normal, our minimum temperatures statewide were, you know, three to five degrees above normal. And uh, what that speaks to is the high levels of humidity pretty much all through the summer, but particularly in July and August. What we had was this pattern that set up in the Atlantic that just brought in um, southerly flow off the Gulf of Mexico and it just persisted for the entire summer. You know, that's why we had, uh, especially again in July and August, this kind of stormy, you know, hot and humid during the afternoon. Then we'd see storms fire up in the late evening and night, pretty much day after day. And that spoke to that humidity. Um, so minimum temperatures were elevated throughout the entire, throughout the entire summer. Um, and uh, actually, uh, the, the, the average dew point temperature for the summertime in Chicago was uh, at O'Hare Airport. There was a fourth highest on record and that dew point record goes back to the 1940s. So high humidity, um, of course, that what that does is it makes it not so much fun to be outside. You know, even if the temperatures are in the high 80s, you get a, you know, an 80 degree dew point, your heat index value is up in the 108, 110 range. And so it's not, not a whole lot of fun to do field work out in that. But what it does do, and especially this is the case for Northern Illinois, uh, when you have dry soils is it reduces the evaporative demand on that uh, corn and bean plants. Uh, because you have that high humidity in the air, the vapor pressure deficit isn't quite as high as what we'd see in a 2012 situation where you have dry soils, but the air also coming in is just bone dry. Um, and so that, I think that did help alleviate some, at least uh, heat stress on some of those, uh, some of those crops. But, um, you know, as the plants love it, the humans not so much. So certainly if people were out there doing field work this summer and just thought to themselves, man, it feels really hot and humid this summer. Yeah, it definitely was. That was the case. Yeah, I, I suspect a lot of folks listening when they heard you say that, you know, this the summer temps were were fairly close to average. I'm, I'm sure that surprised a lot of people. Most people would say it was, you know, uh, uh, this was a much hotter than normal summer, but it really does speak to that that high humidity. Uh, it wasn't necessarily heat. It was just miserable to be out there and 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 uh, uh, be in those humid conditions. Um, you know, one of the th you mentioned those 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 high uh, nighttime lows. And uh, that it, that's one of the things I've been concerned about a little bit. And we'll just have to see what uh, what things look like when harvest starts. But um, those high temperatures at night really do they negatively impact grain fill, uh, corn grain fill. And, uh, you know, it's not good for those plants to have high high temperatures at night. And it's going to be interesting to see what that does to test weights and overall yields. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll 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 soon find out how much impact that had. Yeah. Uh, and real quick, one thing about that, you know, um, I mentioned this, you know, the dew point temperatures were really high throughout the whole summer. When we look at it diurnally, so we break it down for each hour of the day, we actually throughout the state had a really large number of three, four, five a.m. observations at airports where the dew point temperature was above that 65 degree level where humans start to feel uncomfortable. So your point's really well taken here that we didn't have just high humidity during the peak daytime hours when nobody wants to be outside anyway but you know when we usually expect that recovery for plants at night that humidity just stayed there um and so you know definitely that uh the, those negative impacts on plants during the nighttime when they usually can get a, some relief from that high humidity level that just wasn't there this year yeah absolutely 
So let's talk about uh, uh, precipitation through the state. You know, we, we kind of touched on on northern Illinois, and, and you said it's it's uh, nor- northwest Illinois is still drier than normal. Kind of kind of take us through the different regions of the state and where we at on precipitation. Yeah, the northwest part of the state was the uh, was the driest part um, throughout this summer. They were one, really one of the only areas that received below average precipitation through the summer. Um, they were anywhere between uh, two and five inches below average. Uh, some of the largest deficits, especially coming in uh, mid to late August in parts uh, near the Quad Cities and just a bit north in parts of Whiteside, Ogilvie counties, uh, that, that got maybe a quarter of an inch of rain in the last two to three weeks. Um, when you move further to the east, where they had the, the highest rainfall deficits and the highest soil moisture deficits, honestly, coming into summer, uh, some of those areas did get a good amount of rain in late July and throughout August. Um, parts of, of Boone, McHenry, Northern Cook, Kane counties that were so dry through the spring, um, you know, they're, they're, they still have those soil moisture deficits. It's going to take a couple seasons to make up for those because of how dry spring was, but they got the rain when they really needed it, especially in late July and August. And so those areas ended up uh, being anywhere between uh, one inch above and one inch below normal. So right at that, that near 30 year normal. As you move south, you get wetter and wetter. Uh, Central Illinois, most of Central Illinois, south of I-80, north of I-70 or I-64 was, uh, was within one to two inches uh, above normal. There are a couple pockets in there that were a bit drier than normal, but uh, a couple areas to highlight uh, right along Route 9 between Bloomington Normal and, and Gibson City. That area starting in June and then having that really intense precipitation event in Gibson City area um, in Ford County in August, that area got anywhere between uh, six and 10 inches above average rainfall. Um, and, and that just came from the fact that several of those areas near Hayworth and McLean County on the other side of Bloomington, uh, and then Gibson City in Ford County and Fisher and Champaign County, just like in that Route 9 corridor, uh, all had a single day, you know, 24 hour intervals where they got anywhere between eight and 12 inches of rain. Um, and uh, it just seems like storms whenever they'd fire up in the evening the afternoon they would just train right over that area and 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 produce quite a bit of rain so as you move from you know the kind of the farmer city area up to gibson city you really do see um uh, more areas where you have some spotty parts of especially soybean fields that had just gotten too wet so there were some impacts there but again those were pretty isolated areas most of the rest of central illinois got right about uh, their normal around uh, amount of rainfall even if they did have to uh, weather some of the more intense events as you move south most of southern illinois was anywhere between two and three degrees or excuse me two and three inches wetter than normal there was a band from the st louis metro east up to maybe only effingham area that was uh a little bit, uh, you know, anywhere between six and 10 inches wetter than normal. A couple places there uh, in between Effingham and only that got uh, close to 30 inches of rain, between 25 and 30 inches of rain for the summer, which is quite a bit. Uh, but uh, it was it was pretty well equally spaced apart. So, um, you know, they weren't dealing with quite as much uh, really intense rain as parts of central Illinois was. So, you know, outside of the really dry areas uh, of northwest Illinois and those extremely wet but spotty areas in central and parts of southeast Illinois, uh, it wasn't too bad of a summer as far as rainfall is concerned. Most, most people got the rain they needed, uh, you know, keeping track of, of, of ongoing dry conditions or emerging dry conditions across the state each week. You know, I hear from a couple of people in different regions uh, that, hey, it's getting pretty dry. We could really use a rain. And for the most part, they got it uh, uh, w- within that week. And so, um, I mean, I think that speaks to, you know, looking at the crop condition reports from the USDA going out 
uh, now uh, for the last few weeks, uh, I think it speaks to the, the numbers that they're getting that the rain was uh, where, where it wasn't not quite enough or it wasn't way too much. It, it, it seemed to, um, it, it seemed to be a, a pretty good and, and timely for most folks. Yeah. Interesting, you know, kind of a stratification or banding, whatever you want to call it through the state. Like you said, Northwest Illinois, that's, that's kind of where our territory is here at the Geneseo office. And, and although we do go a ways south of, of I-80 as well in that sort of Northwest quarter of the state. And, and yeah, when you look at the maps, our territory ranges as you, as you go south, you know, two to four inches above normal. Uh, and as you go north, you know, you get to two, two to four inches below normal uh, and, and, and you don't have to go very far to, you know, to kind of, to move through those bands, uh, pretty, pretty interesting, um, uh, you know, spread as you, as you take a look at that. Um, the other thing I, you know, that I've kind of noticed out in the fields as well, and be interesting to see, you know, kind of the way you were talking early on, we were really dry, um, and kind of in that, that four to six leaf stage with corn, you know, that's when it's setting its, its number of, of kernel rows and, and I, I personally have been seeing a lot of, of uh, what I would consider narrow ears uh, out there in these cornfields. Um, so those plants, I think, were stressing earlier in the year, and they're showing that. But, but to your point, um, after that, we sort of got rains when we needed them. And, I'm, and, and as, that, as those plants were setting, uh, you know, ear length, uh, I'm seeing a lot of, of fairly long ears, you know, 36 uh, to 40 kernels long um and and pollinated very well um you know a little bit of tip back in some places like you said but uh it really does follow the weather patterns pretty pretty closely uh yeah just, just like you laid out well and i think a testament to that is uh, and this was something i was looking for in in the forecast and outlooks every pretty much every week this summer was um is that gulf of mexico flow going to stay open because um you know we had some pretty dry areas toward north and west parts of minnesota and the dakotas and um, if we, you know, the difference between this year and 2012 really was that, you know, in 2012, the Gulf of Mexico flow got shut down and it stayed shut down for a number of weeks. And so we just got dry, hot air out of the Southwest. And, and this year, you know, we had to deal with that humidity, but along with that humidity came the instability, a lot of moisture. And, uh, and so that created the storms that I think filled in those gaps, um, and, and helped, uh, helped, you know, folks dealing with drought, not, you know, kind of alleviate some of those impacts a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of storms, uh, kind of here locally, right along the U.S. Route 6 corridor a few weeks ago, we had uh, uh, a fair amount of wind damage, uh, wind damage in, in some of the uh, some of the cornfields kind of along, again, that Route 6 corridor. I know there were other areas of the state, uh, northern Illinois, and, and then uh, as you go a little bit south of here as well. Now, we'll cross our fingers. Season's not over yet. We, you know, we haven't had anything anywhere near like a, like a derecho, uh, thankfully, but, uh, we're not out of the woods yet, but what, um, in general, what, what have you been hearing about wind and, and wind damage through the state? Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of reports about wind, uh, wind issues. And I, I think that, uh, you kind of pay the penance of, of when, when it's stormy conditions, we can get a good amount of rain and that timely rain we just talked about, but, um, you know, pay the price of having some wind. And uh, fortunately, the hail damage has been seen. Uh, hail events haven't been nearly as frequent as, as maybe last summer or, or summers previous. So we haven't seen quite as bit of quite as much hail damage, but wind damage has been an issue. Um, it seems like a lot of the storms that have caused wind damage, especially to corn, came late enough that it doesn't seem from what I'm hearing to significantly infect, uh, or affect uh, 
yields for production, um, what it is more likely to do is just make harvests a lot more complicated, uh, having to go one way or, or uh, having to clean up the mess of, of laid down corn. Uh, and it is, and a lot of those storms, especially the ones you mentioned just a few weeks ago, came late enough that it's, it's likely that corn's not going to stand back up. So uh, folks will have to be dealing with that. So um, that's just something to consider. You know, seeing a lot of wind damage may take a little bit longer to run through those fields. Um, but overall, it, it seems like uh, that, that it, it occurred late enough in the season that it hasn't really affected productivity too much. Okay. So let's kind of segue into, uh, into, you know, the next couple of months here as we're, as we're getting ready for, you know, obviously Northern Illinois, uh, we're a little, little ways away from, from harvest yet, uh, getting pretty close to, to rolling, I'm sure in Southern Illinois. Um, but, but, you know, harvest is on everybody's mind now. Let's, let's think about the next 30 to 60 days. What, uh, what are we seeing as far as patterns and, and what does the outlook, uh, seem to be right now? Yeah, so um, in, in the, the near term, the next two to three weeks, um, the outlooks are, are looking to be con- kind of a continuation of what we've seen in the last few days, a cooler, below normal temperatures, um, but also drier than normal conditions uh, across the state. And so that was for some of that early planted corn that may be ready, parts of southern Illinois, um, that, uh, that does bode well for at least a good start to harvest. One actually thing that... Uh, is beneficial for harvest, especially in Southern Illinois, is that Ida, that uh, hurricane, the tropical storm now was uh, steered to the east and south of Southern Illinois and uh, by that cold front that came through. So that was uh, one thing they missed some, uh, some what could have been some pretty damaging rains there at that time. So uh, that was good to at least get a good kickoff to harvest. Uh, beyond that, looking at the, the next 30 to 60 days, there's not a tremendous amount of signal in the, in the outlook. Um, uh, from the Climate Prediction Center or elsewhere. Uh, it, 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 the, the highest chances are for near normal temperatures, near normal precipitation. And, uh, you know, if, depending on you're an optimist or a pessimist, you may say, well, that's a good or bad thing. But uh, overall, September and the beginning of October tend to be one of the driest times of the year uh, in this area all across the state. And so, um, you know, it, it, the, the highest chances of near normal precipitation means that it's still going to be a relatively dry period of time. Um, so it does, there, there isn't any sort of signal that suggests that uh, there could be a complication from extremely wet conditions uh, for harvest. With that being said, um, there is also no indication that that Gulf of Mexico flow is going to be shut off. So it still could be somewhat of a stormy period of time. But as we know, when there's also isolated storms, there's a few unlucky folks who pick up a decent amount of rain when they're trying to harvest and most folks stay relatively dry. So, uh, so hopefully, you know, fo- folks get rolling these next few weeks. Um, it'll, uh, it should be a good start to, to harvest. One thing I will make mention of is that the Atlantic Ocean is primed for hurricane activity. We've already seen that with Ida. There are other storms out there forming, and uh, it, it's, it is, no, I shouldn't even say virtually impossible. It is impossible to forecast traje- the trajectory of those tropical storms. Uh, as they w- make their way over to the the Western Hemisphere, so um, all of this to say, you know, things look good right now for harvest, but of course, there's always the monkey wrench could be thrown in of a tropical system trying to make its way up the Mississippi Valley. But uh, but for right now, things are looking good for at least the start of harvest. And the longer term outlooks, you know, throwing in October and November, also highest odds for above normal temperatures sticking with us through uh, through um, through the through the fall. And, uh, and, and near normal precipitation. Um, so not too bad. One other mention I'll, I'll, I'll make here is um, the models are showing, the outlooks are showing the uh, higher and higher chances of us falling back into La Nina this winter. 
Um, although the, the strongest connection to Midwest climate that, that the, the El Nino Southern Oscillation has uh, is in winter, especially late winter, February, March, uh, fall, autumn seasons do tend to be drier than normal when we are experiencing a La Nina year. That's what happened last year. Um, it, it's not uh, set in stone, uh, but when you, when, when you combine all the La Nina years together, we do see a signal of drier than normal conditions for the fall uh, pretty much all across the Midwest. So um, that is uh, working in the favor of, of having a good harvest as well. So right now, all the tea leaves are saying uh, not too bad of conditions to, to start things out. And, um, you know, if we keep those tropical systems away, uh, it, hopefully it'll be a nice and e uneventful harvest. So if, if you don't mind, uh, maybe a little bit, but, but kind of take us through just, just real quick, if you can, kind of a layman's explanation and, and kind of a reminder to everybody. What, when you say La Nina, what, what specifically does that mean? What, is, uh, what, what, what specifically is setting up out there in the Pacific? Yeah, so uh, La Nina refers to one of the three phases of the El Nino Southern Oscillation. People call it ENSO. Um, some people just refer to it in, um, kind of commonly as El Nino. And that, that is a, a pattern of sea surface temperatures and um, the corresponding effects on atmospheric circulation out in the tropical Pacific between basically off the coast of Peru all the way over to Northern Australia. Um, because the Pacific is such a large source of energy, uh, the, the, the amount of heat that, those sea surface, that the sea surface gives off to the atmosphere can affect circulation all across the globe, in, including here in the United States. Now, the connection between what's going on in the Pacific, how it affects circulation and how it affects precipitation and temperature here in the Midwest is not as strong as it is for other regions, like for example, the West Coast or um, South Texas, places like that. However, there are signals that we can take away. Uh, one of those is that when we fall into La Nina, which is cooler than normal sea surface temperatures off the coast of, of South America, it's a negative phase of the oscillation. When we do get La Nina years, when you average over all the La Nina years, they tend to be drier and warmer than normal in the fall. And um, in the Ohio Valley, including most of southern and eastern Illinois, they tend to be wetter than normal in the, uh, in the winter. Um, and again, there's a lot of variability to that. Um, for example, the year 2011-2012, that winter was a La Nina year. Last year was a La Nina winter. So there can be some quite a bit of variability year to year. Uh, but overall, when we try to look at the outlooks uh, over the next couple of months, when we're thinking about harvest, um, that gives us one, um, I guess, a thing to pull, one tool to pull from among others. And so that's, that's what I'm referring to the La Nina year. We're setting up those cooler uh, surface temperature, surface ocean temperatures off the coast of South America there in the Pacific, and that can have its influence on, um, on our climate. Okay, very good. Well, Dr. Ford, a lot of great information, uh, as always. Uh, again, appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to visit with us and, and uh, kind of give us your thoughts on, on what you see, uh, what you've seen here over the last season and, and what you see coming. Um, we, we really do appreciate it, and uh, I suspect we'll, we'll bring you back if you're able and willing to, uh, to, to, uh, to talk to us a little bit about, uh, about the outlook when it, when it gets closer to planting time. So. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you. We, we really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Troy. I'm always happy to, to come on and talk. Thanks for having me on. All right. And, and thanks to everyone again for listening. 
And uh, we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Illinois Agronomy Update. Thank you.